Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. All right. What's up, everybody? I'm here with my friend, Joe, who is about to move. He's about to escape California. So proud of you, my friend, for doing the right thing and entering freedom. It's going to be an amazing season. I'm just kidding. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. It is, uh, it's been a, a wild, stimulating, amazing start to the year. Uh, no shortage of things happening on the personal and professional front. I saw an article that said that the top, I think it was maybe the top 100 wealthiest people had lost like $125 billion since the first day of January. Is this the end of the bull market or is this just a little a little blip on the radar? We're kind of dealing with the Fed right now, figuring out rates. Hard to tell the tea leaves, but I'll say that I think that I think a lot of it is an overreaction. That's my hypothesis to potentially the Fed raising rates. Like if you look at it from a macro perspective, I think the supply and demand of most things is in our favor. Like growth, I think I think the United States in particular is going to go on a like the next 4 years will go on a massive growth run. That's my hypothesis and I think that people are probably freaking out from Fed interest rate proposals. Their standard thing is like okay, we raise rates it's like 25 basis points. Even if they did that every quarter, which is like what everybody's afraid of right now, who cares? Like the cost of capital is still like, you know, savagely low. And yeah, there's impacts on that in the markets. But I think that uh, I think there's just a lot of people overreacting to that. And um, I do think sooner than later, we're going to be back on track. And I think the United States has crazy amount of growth left in it, like a ton. Yeah, I agree. So everybody's talking to me this week about crypto. Crypto hasn't really decoupled from the markets yet. You know, Bitcoin's still kind of flowing mostly with tech stocks. I would say this, they're, they're really synced up together. It's mostly in the tech world. If you look at Tesla and Bitcoin and some of the other, I would say, probably overvalued tech stocks, they're pushing the price of, of Bitcoin down. I do think, though, that the whole like valuation scheme for some of these tech companies, they have to actually change. Like People think that Airbnb is overvalued People think Tesla is overvalued and they're doing that based on PE ratios. But when you look at these companies, it's like, I don't think they're overvalued. I think Airbnb has a, poses a significant and legitimate threat to the entire hotel chain industry. And Airbnb, is it, a, is it a real estate company? Is it a tech company? Is it a hospitality company? You have these businesses that are morphing them all together and then and we don't know how to value them. And so it's creating some whiplashes. That's what I'm seeing at least. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's a couple of things you said there that are interesting to dig into. The first one is the the decoupling of crypto from traditional markets. When I first got involved with like the blockchain world, it actually was decoupled. Like it was a legitimate hedge like when one went down, the other one changed. But I feel like as it's propagated and perpetuated out and more and more retail investors are coming, 
you're just starting to see people that are unable to play the long game, right? It's all emotional. Like something, a little blurb happens and everybody runs the wrong direction or runs out or runs in. And, I, and you know, you can see that with like these like retail swings inside of the equities markets. And I think you're seeing that in crypto too. But I agree with you. There's a fundamental misunderstanding in how to value tech companies, particularly a company like Tesla, right? I, I get in arguments with my smart friends about this, my tech friends. I don't think the market has... The, we haven't. We don't have a precedent to price in what's happening there. The, like the amount of disruption, how AI is going to continue to fuel that company, and I think part of it is just like we were as a species. We we like experience change in a linear capacity. You know, like things change, but they don't change that fast. But man, over the last fifteen years, how much have things changed? And that rate of change is going up exponentially. So over the next fifteen or twenty years, you know, we're going to have like AI passing the Turing test, self-driving cars, like. Our grandkids definitely won't be driving cars unless they want to, um, but there's just there's such a new reality that's coming in, and I think people like Elon and uh, and the folks that are driving Airbnb just see a different future that hasn't really been contemplated by most people. Not because they're not trying, just because they can't. They don't live in that headspace, and I feel like that's why certain tech companies are going to have just they're just it's going to be like a, a super winner take all situation, especially those that are like taking advantage of these. Um, exponential technologies like AI or blockchain or robotics or sensors or drones, a lot of these technologies are going to drive just a level of change that we can't even, we just can't even fathom it. Yeah. You know what else is interesting? Because when you talk about AI, you talk about a future where people aren't driving cars, normal humans are like, what is this guy talking about? Like, what in the world is he talking about? But it's the same in crypto where it's like the... People are getting smarter and smarter and smarter, but it's almost like people are also getting dumber. And we talk about wealth inequality, but there's a knowledge inequality that's taking place simply because the peaks are going up and the troughs are going down. And I legitimately think that people don't know what to do with exponential curves. They don't. Our minds don't process them. We, you can't really figure out how to invest into the future based on an exponential growth curve. Because dude, the reality is 15 years from now, cars could be illegal unless you have a computer driving it. it cars could be like horses. Like you go to the range to drive cars. And so the problem with investing is you can't see the future. And the problem with investing is usually the history rhymes with the future until it doesn't. And I think we're in one of those seasons now where it doesn't because we've never had quantum computing before. We've never had actual legitimate AI being put into humans and cars. We've never had the lightning network before like none of these things have ever existed and so you can't really go the whole like ray dalio approach because what ray is doing is he's using history as a benchmark for the future which works until it doesn't that's kind of my thing with ray at the moment i don't know what you think about dalio's new stuff i think what he's done is brilliant i think i do think that we as a species as an underlying input to all of the markets and everything that's happening we'll consistently repeat our patterns and we'll like find ways to do that even with technology. But dude, I think you're right. I think that like, it's really hard to look to the past, even from something that had like a technological revolution because the timing is just so bananas. Like think about it, like today in AI, right? You know, you can, you can go to open AI and you can leverage a technology called GPT-3 and GPT-3 can write legitimate marking copy that really only needs a couple of tweaks and it will, will probably convert. Well, when GPT-4 comes out and AI passes what's called the Turing test, which is, you know, you could basically be talking to an AI and not know it was an AI would feel just like a human. Like, how much does that change everything? You know, like at a very fundamental level, 
skills that are highly valued right now just become commoditized instantly, like even creative skills. So, and you mentioned quantum computing. I mean, dude, when, if, and when I'd say there's probably like an 80% chance we get to a legit quantum computing over the next 20 years. I mean, if that happens, you know, and we don't come up with quantum encryption immediately, the fact that, you know, Bitcoin's public chains were available from 2010 and before all of those will just get shredded by quantum computing like the whole encryption schema for most blockchains today are just going to get you know shredded so quantum computing will just be like this step change it'll be like creating the wheel or fire i mean it's going to be a really really big deal even bigger than ai i think yeah and then then in history and the tranches of history people won't really be able to see you know you're in an exponential age or an exponential moment when you know that historians in the future won't really be able to see past the inventions that are happening right now. Like it, imagine here's a, a interesting thought experience. Like imagine living in a world where you don't have fire or light or electricity. Our brains can't go there. That's like no. the invention was so important that it almost like it puts blocks in history where you can't go before that. And I think when you talk about this week, the Slovakian Civil Aviation Authority has basically greenlit a hybrid car airplane. Did you see this? No, I didn't. They're calling it an air car. And they're creating these cars that are hybrids and they fly. And uh, they've gotten government backing. And they say that within the next 12 months, they'll have commercial vehicles available for the public. And to drive one of these cars, you have to have a pilot's license. Your brain doesn't know what to do with that. It's just like, <laughs> what are we doing? You know, some of these inventions and where we are right now, I don't think the masses really quite understand the, the historical importance. And that's why none of the rules are necessarily working. Yeah. At least not the way they used to. For sure. And if like investors that are marginally savvy can't get it, you know, who's really not going to get it is governments. You know, especially big, established, slow governments. But, you know, these smaller countries that have smaller governments and, you know, more streamlined governance, they actually have an opportunity to really make, like push forward in powerful ways. Like imagine a country like Singapore, which is basically like one big city, and you can reconstruct your whole city as a smart city. Because like if you have like a flying car or even an autonomous car, you need other safeguards like sensors in the road or sensors on buildings or you need to rewrite their equivalent of how the FAA works to like rewrite low altitude vehicle rules. It's really hard for us to do that in America because we're slow and we're huge. And, and you know, we're like, it's beautiful what we have. We have states and, and then like this sort of United Federation of states, but like, you know, all the states have to pass these laws and, and, and uh, actualize them. But in like these smaller countries, man, they've got such an advantage, like almost like a small company that's early stage that can move and iterate and do things faster. Um, I think there's going to be like technology will advance nation states, sovereign nation states much, much faster than they otherwise would have had the chance to do. And I think that's an interesting thing that we'll see that is one of those things that's also like, we just can't fathom it. It's hard to get our head wrapped around like Slovakia or any smaller countries becoming like, like a power player in the world. And inside of that, man, the big thing that's really interesting is China, right? Because they don't have they don't have the breaks called the US states, you know, where everybody gets to make 50 different decisions. You know, they kind of get to, to rule with the iron fist, as they say, and, you know, really pour out technology, make smart cities. They could have smart roads, which will, you know, they'll bring in all of this autonomous technology much faster. So I think that's going to be a big, big part of uh, how the world changes, you know, over the next 15 or 20 years. 
I was going to mention China because really, like, I think the United States is kind of trying to go the opposite direction. Balance is a little bit of a difficult thing to achieve. You have China that's like communistically capitalist. And then the U.S. is almost going more socialistically capitalist, but communism is faster. And so that's the one thing I think Ray Dalio, not the one thing, but it's one of his more fact check worthy points is when you can build a hospital in 11 days and you can, you know, anything that we come up with or create can be cloned seven different times in in 48 hours and three of them are better than what we created. It's, it, it becomes a difficult competitive environment. If you look at it from that point of view, you know, oh, hundred percent. We talk about the stages of business, right? And like in an early stage of a business, speed of implementation matters so much. And in a later stage yeah. of a business, like strategy and planning and contemplation and chess matters a little bit more. And like where they are as a country, they're they're like in an earlier stage. I mean, it's funny to say that they've been around a lot longer than our country has. But in terms of like the capitalistic economic development, that like their ability to do speed of implementation is crazy. I mean, like. And there's no scenario when you're when you're trying to win an innovation game where speed of implementation isn't going to help you, right? That that iteration and getting up that learning yeah. curve. Um, but they also have this incredible advantage that I don't think a lot of us as uh, in America appreciate is man, they play the long game. They've got a Decade. beautiful strategy. Yeah. They Century. play the long game. Century game, you know, like like our politicians are like on that four to eight year plan, and that's it. Then they're out, and they want to write their book, you know. Yeah. So like the, the ability to shepherd a strategy across the century, like that's unfathomable to most of us, right? Um, but for them, they really play the long game. And I think that there is a, a combination of their ability to iterate quickly and copy, you know, combined with that playing the long game. That's, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. That being said, like there's something beautiful about like our flavor of freedom that does drive significant innovation um, that I think will continue to give us an advantage. But look, if they're a fast follower, they're going to leapfrog our advantage or they can leverage that advantage uh, to their to their benefit, maybe even better than we can. Yeah, 100%. You don't own many equities. Are you playing just mostly in crypto and mostly business interests? Like, where are you putting your money at the moment? Maybe like 10 years ago, I just, I just decided, well, I started my career in management consulting and I kind of came out um, before I went full-time entrepreneur. And it was like... I, I graduated right into the Great Recession, and I got to watch like this nuclear meltdown of stocks, and I had all, all this faith in the public markets, and I got to hang out with some really, really smart people, way smarter than me, that were talking about how the, the whole implosion from the inside out. And um, you know, I just got this sense that like I, I, I have no control over that space. And you know, at the time, I was learning a lot about like um, front-running stocks and all, all this really sophisticated stuff. I was like, man, this is. I don't have an advantage here. Uh, even in, I don't have any information asymmetries. I don't have any like tactical advantage. I can't go help that company move the, the needle. So I shifted everything over to real estate. And that was really kind of the birth of getting into, you know, single families and mobile home parks and things where it's like, all right, cool. I can go force some, some appreciation into this asset and really drive up the value. Um, and then companies, of course. So like right now, I think where we focus on is uh, three areas, real estate, real estate, real estate, long pause, we have some money in private equities. So these are companies where, you know, my probably one of my skills is like having a high EQ and being a good judge of character, finding great talent. So when I find great talent in a great market that's growing, I, I don't mind putting money into private equity companies or, you know, just people in like tech companies, high growth companies, good leadership teams that I trust. And then the last one is, uh, is crypto. 
Like if I'm going to go out and be involved in a high risk asset class of which I would count equities and crypto, like I want to go to crypto because it's like it's the birth of a market and all that volatility is the breeding grounds for victory for the strategist. For the amateur, you're going to get your face wiped off, you know, but if you understand how to play the long game, how to find an edge and how to come in, I mean, dude, it's it's amazing how much of a a moat, a short term moat you can build at the birth of a market or the birth of several markets. And that's a game where I can have an advantage, like a big advantage. I can't have that advantage in equities. Not not on my own. I'd have to buy into a fund or something. And most funds aren't performing. So I just, it doesn't make sense to me. Not to make anybody wrong for equities. It's obviously made a lot of people a lot of money. But for me, it was just like, I don't have any, I can't put my hands to that. So I don't bother with it. I think one of the things I've been getting into recently, just for fun, is um, the idea of playing the you know volatility so options and condors and and there are ways you know to just kind of play but it's always gambling to an extent there is an inherent enjoyment factor in gambling a little bit yeah uh, because it's just fun it's it's a rush i do think when when we look at opportunities like right now though there's a tremendous opportunity and this is not financial advice this is just how i look at it it's like you know tesla crashing 35 percent it's like we we everyone in the world knows that tesla's one of it's going to be the most valuable company in the world or one of them and when you take when something takes a 35 percent dive inside of 36 hours like i'm gonna buy that thing as much as i can yeah Um, just because it's like it's it's a temporary correction that's gonna you know bounce right back but then i think the the issue right now is i'm seeing that with all of my equities uh in my brokerage account and so this becomes an issue of what to buy if you look cloudflare is down and airbnb is down and starbucks and tesla and twitter and even your index funds are down i think it's people being reactive to the fed and reactive to some sort of hyped up future valuation game based on interest rates rather than people being strategic and it's sad at the moment that crypto is following the same road like i'm excited for crypto to fully decouple it will be even amazing to watch it have an inverse correlation at a certain point in the future you know yeah i I certainly hope we can get there man i I feel like we might have a long road before that happens but i I do think that that's inevitable depending on how the asset class shakes out like for example like bitcoin's still hype hyped up and it's not really clear like it's all debatable. Like, what is the good use case for Bitcoin? Is it a store of value? Are we going to transact on it? Are we going to build layers on top of it, uh, et cetera? But the same way you feel about Tesla is the same way I feel about about Ethereum and ETH. So I'm like, ooh, oh, everything's yeah. on sale. Let's get in there. Dude, you know, I bought. I have bought about 110 extra worth of ETH when it was at 2300. But you just know it's impossible for it not. It can't say impossible. If if Ethereum with the use case that it has doesn't come back not only to its previous high, which is what 4,100, 4,200, somewhere around there. Yep. But if it doesn't triple that, something dreadfully wrong happened and it would almost be so bad. This is how I think about risk. Like when you invest in a single family real estate, the good single family real estate, it's like you're making a bet on the, on a person's need for housing in the future. And if that bet ever goes sideways, it would have to mean that something so drastic has happened that none of us care about money anyways. At that point, we're struggling for food in the streets. We don't care about our investments. Like the fabric of society is breaking. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like nobody cares anymore. And I feel pretty similar, like it sounds like you do, with Ethereum. It's like Web 3.0 is going to be built on it. Everything's now, I think, porting into Ethereum. They're not, com- 
Solana's not competing with Ethereum, right? Like they're, they've got uh, integrations into Ethereum. Do you think that there's any threat of any gorilla competing with ETH at this point? Or is it like very much advantageous to have multiple L1s and L2s playing together? Yes and yes. I think it's possible that somebody will come in and compete with fringe use cases surrounding ETH and, and, what, and what's going on with that particular technology. But I don't think that anyone's going to knock them off. They're like the number two. It's like, if you've ever read, we mentioned this in the last time we chatted, but you know, Al Reese and Jack Trout's book on positioning, you know, it's like a classic, right? And it, you can only really remember like seven things and your brain just turns off. Well, some of the first crypto tokens that get mentioned, the first one's BTC. And just on that basis alone, it'll continue to win because it owns the space in people's minds. But like, if it's not number two, it's number three, which is Ethereum. That's a really non-trivial, powerful position to hold. But beyond that, the technology is phenomenal. And you're right, it is going to drive a lot of uh, Web3, including DeFi, which is going to be some of the earliest places we'll have good use cases. But I do think that there'll be edge cases on that, that people will come in and out, innovate them on, because it's so big, you can't win everything. So that's inevitable. I like to look at technologies that are, because I play the long game in crypto, right? Like I, I buy and hold forever and I do buy L1s, L2s and try to go at the protocol level. And I look for opportunities like for these 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 protocols that are going to stick around forever, but they also have the basic fundamental characteristics that are true to what, what blockchain is trying to do, particularly being decentralized, immutable, et cetera. You know, and so like Ethereum is the is the poster child for that. You know, and if, once we get to proof of stake, I think ETH, not investment advice, but I personally think ETH is dramatically undervalued. And uh, I think it's going to be an incredible run uh, over the next three to five years. It'll be probably one of the best investments I've ever made. It is the best investment asset I've ever made. And I think it'll just continue to be. It's just going to take off. And if not three to five years, it is just at my core, I believe it is manifest destiny that ETH or a similar type technology is going to take off. So to answer your question, like depending on your appropriation of risk and you know how much capital you have to, to, to allocate, I would pick a few of the you know sort of smart contract decentralized plays to see how they play out. And yeah, I would I would spread it out a little bit. I'm very pro bully ETH. Like I don't I don't I have I have a little bit like 20% of our stacks in Bitcoin, but I'm I'm very strong on ETH. Always have been. Don't tell me what to buy, but just say that tell me the coins that you're interested in that is not one of the big three or four not many man um i actually so my strategy was we were 80 20 uh ethereum bitcoin then i backed off and i ha have like a little mini alt fund inside of that so it's maybe like five percent of the stack going to random stuff like solana or these new things that are popping up and then i just started looking at that and i was like yeah these are fine but they're probably they don't match my personal thesis for like protocol long holds so I just started taking that out and putting them into NFT projects because NFT nice. projects, um, I you know again uh, I believe that my advantage in crypto is like I I spent a lot of time building a network, a real human network of people that are doing interesting things and you know connecting and bringing opportunities to each other. And I think with NFTs, just like ICOs four years ago or five years ago, like the big advantage is information asymmetries, like. Who knows what what that other people don't know, and how do you get on that whitelist early? And how do you, you know, yes, vetting a project is incredibly important, and everybody should do that. But at the end of the day, like we're we're basic people are basically making markets with these things, and there's a lot of psychology that goes into it. So if you can catch wind early and be involved with the right people early, I think that's an, that can be an incredible advantage, and it's kind of hard to replicate that 
So we've got that, and I like that in NFT. So we've started putting a little bit of money into projects there. When I mean a little bit, I mean a little bit. And let me just say that like you and I can have this conversation because we have another a couple of other economic engines. We're entrepreneurs yeah. that know how to create value on demand inside of the business type structure. We're investors that have plenty of cash coming off in real estate. So like we've kind of earned the right to go and play around in this stuff. So I'm, I, I wouldn't swayed someone towards or away. I just want to point that out. Like I'm comfortable going and playing in NFTs now because of these other things, not necessarily because I'm chasing it to go and make that how I've made my first what million or my first, you know, uh, bit of wealth, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. I would say the same thing about uh, equities or anything else we're talking about, but NFTs is like the derivative of crypto. It would, it would almost, this isn't a good analogy. It's almost options. But you can do options in crypto. It's just the NFT world to me is like, so because I have a the, the NFT fund and there's such a sophisticated algorithm that we're going through trying to find out which devs have track record and is it a derivative project or how does it work? I think that for people wanting to get into NFTs, they almost have to just go all in. Like they have to be yeah. all in and they're in a thousand discords and they're scraping Twitter. And so for me, like, I would almost rather just give somebody money to go invest in NFTs for me, you know, oh, unless you, unless you enjoy it. This is just super hard. Whereas options, like you can figure out options on your own in four hours a day, make 10 grand a day and, and be on your way. You know, NFTs are the frontiers. So there's a lot of adrenaline. It's a lot of fun there. At the same time, you have to be somebody like you, I believe, who is like supremely intelligent inside of the space. You understand the context, the color, everything from the last nine years. And therefore, you've almost tuned your gut to know what is going to work and not work. It's you are your own algorithm, almost. I don't know if that's if you disagree with that, but no, no, I, I think it makes sense. At certain level of the game, like you start to appreciate these some certain mental models that you like almost have to live by them. And if you don't, you just start to notice how much opportunity cost there is. And one of them for me is like 80-20. Like everybody's heard of that, but so few people have embodied that and really like like leveraged it at every capacity and kind of wrung that sponge out for all the value. And so like I there was a time in my life where I had a lot of time to go read. I probably read thousands of white papers and was in all kinds of like but this is before it was Discord, it was like Telegram groups and WhatsApp groups, you know? So I kind of put that in and got my base level intuition. A lot of things have changed. But for me now, like with the NFT game, like, man, I, I don't have time. I got another baby on the way. I got businesses to run. I have a lot going on. So the 80-20 for me is like, I'm, I'm trying to find the shortest and most direct path to an advantage. So I do bring that base level sort of gut intuition so when I jump in and look at NFTs, I immediately see patterns and I'm like, okay, are these patterns valid? And then I'm like, okay, some of these are, and some of these things have changed. So I'm, I'm working from that advantage. But the point I'm trying to make is that like, I'm looking for an 80, 20 way to get involved because I don't have like, I'm time poor because I want to invest time with my family and I have other obligations that don't have anything to do with, with wealth uh, creation and, and growth so that I, you know, I'm looking for an 80, 20 way to get in there. But if I was, if the inverse was true and I was a uh, time rich, like if I was like in my early twenties and I was hungry and I had a tiny bit of capital, or even if I didn't have capital and I wanted to go get involved in this space, I would be bathing in all of the information, trying to gain a tactical intuition, trying to develop, you know, proprietary relationships and earning people's trust, like online and offline. And because that thing is something that you can stand on and really build something with. But yeah, for me, I mean, I have a very specific scenario. I, I have... I've purposely said, I've got this much time. 
how can I find the 80-20 of the 80-20, the small hinges that swing big doors and NFTs? And that's how I'll get my exposure. And then if that starts to take off, we might increase the capital allocation a bit. But I'm really forcing myself to take an 80-20 approach, not out of laziness, just out of, you know, I'd rather spend that time with my son, my wife, my kids. Yeah, 100%. Well, man, speaking of that, it's a great place to land. Thank you for the time investment today. I have a lot of fun every time we talk about this stuff. I hope you feel the same. But we're just blow up the world together. It'd be great. I love it, man. This is fun. Let's do it again. Cool. Sounds good. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the move. Uh, and then let us know when the housewarming party is. And uh, we'll be on a plane to Austin. It'll be great. Let's go. All right, brother. See ya. Take care.